So open up to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, as we continue where we left off last week in our journey through the Bible. Genesis chapter 12. The topic today is on journey of faith. As we continue here in Genesis, and we'll take uh, chapters 12 and 13, if you remember, if you've been with us, or if you haven't, I certainly encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast uh, through the, the Way of Grace ministry. And you'll notice that after the flood, God commanded people and the animals to multiply and fill the earth. It was a commandment of God. That wasn't a suggestion. It was was God saying, that's a commandment. I'm telling you, that's what I want you to do. And we see all that in Genesis 8, 17, and also chapter 9, verse 1. We also saw some other changes that took place. Mankind established a new social order. Start of human government now is in the mix. This authority of this this government has the authority to exercise capital punishment as a just response to murder. We saw that in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. A new physical order is now in place with the environment, with the absence of that protective vapor canopy that was covering around the sphere of the earth. Now the ozone layer, the radiation of the sun is now taking a toll on human life. We see incredible disasters taking place on earth that they never experienced before. Storms and and, uh, earthquakes and, and, and tornadoes and you name it. It's, it's the, it's just starting and see the entire changes of this this earth physically down to even droughts and how a drought can affect our decisions and we'll see that in our story today. But all of that, all the storms and earthquakes and tornadoes and droughts and the radi- solar radiation to playing a toll on the human life, we see that through the table of nations last week in chapter 11, that the lifespan of human, human beings were shortened drastically. They were no longer seeing the seven, eight hundred, and nine hundred year old people and then died. <laughs> they were dying in the hundreds and two hundreds now because of the change after the flood. But in Genesis, we, uh, we saw the table of nations, Genesis 10, and show that the population was growing from the records of how Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, had uh, with their own children. And eventually we saw the peoples, the people groups, the nations around the world were starting to grow. But however, they were f- to fill the earth and not just be in numbers and population only. The commandment was to multiply in numbers, but to spread across the land. And what happened is, is then you see man coming into a play and going against the commandment of God and wanting to do it their own way. They didn't want to spread across the entire land. Instead, they did the opposite, coming together to build their own super state, their super nation, their super city, and stood in rebellion against God. And we saw that in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. 
But God saw and he knew why their hearts of their decision not to do what God called them to do. And so he had to intervene. <laughs> oh, man can sometimes want to do their own way. And, and foolish as it is, God looks and sees the heart and says, I have to intervene before it gets out of hand because it's going to bring destruction to them again. Remember, the, uh, the, the society got so evil, he had to bring a, a, a worldwide flood upon the land. So God decided, remember, us, the Trinity, God set their plan in, by refusing, by coming in and confusing their language and forcing them to abandon the Tower of Babel. And we saw that in chapter 11, verses 5 through 9. So God's response to man's rebellion was the beginning and not just the end of the historical Babylon, but it was also to intervene in the spiritual Babylon that was taking place in the hearts of men. Everything that Satan did and does to disrupt God's plan to bring salvation to a person is, and, and especially as we speak in context here, the fact that Satan was trying to intervene to keep his people, the Jews, to come to bring about this, the Savior, the Redeemer. But that's how Satan does. He comes to deceive and destroy mankind spiritually. And if he can destroy them spiritually, then you won't be able to have a relationship with God. And mankind has two choices that will shape their lives. Two choices then, and same, same two choices today for you and I. We can follow God's kingdom and God's values, God's way. Or you can choose the world or the world system and what all that has to offer you. One is by faith, another one is by sight. One is spiritual, the other one is flesh. There's only two roads. People always say, oh, you can have the third road, which means I can have a relationship with God and still live in the world. No, you cannot. That's called carnality, and we know those warnings that God gives us about a carnal life. So it's so often the case with throughout history, God uses people to accomplish his, his purposes. And the rest of Genesis here, as we continue to study here in chapter 12 and on, we will see the account of four such people. Four great men that God used for his purposes. And the first one is, we'll see today, the patriarch of Abraham. Then we will see Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And that will take us through the rest of Genesis on four men's lives, and all that is surrounding them in their, their history. So here we start here in Genesis 12, verses 1. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, remember, Abraham's name was Abram first. He says, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So it starts off by the Lord himself talking to Abraham and giving him directions of what he is to do. This wasn't second hand. 
This wasn't from some brother or sister because, oh, the Lord has spoken to me and I need to tell. No, no. God speaks to you and I. His word tells us what he wants us to do. He's not going to keep that hidden from you. So God comes to Abram and says, very clearly, get out of your country. What does God mean by that? What do you mean, what does he mean by that? It's pretty simple. Get out of your country. And then he gives you a little more specifics here. He says, when you get out of your country, you're going to not you're gonna leave your family behind there. You know your dad and your, all your kissing cousins there? They got to they, they go. They're, they're staying there. You're, you and your wife are leaving. From your father's house. And I'm, and, and I'm going to take you to a land. And there's the key words. I will show you. God will show you. Verse 2. I will. God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, a blessing to others. Right? A blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How did Abraham respond to that conversation with God? Verse 4, so Abram departed. He was obedient. He did what God told him. He departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Uh-oh. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Or Haran, however you want to say it. So we see here in the first four verses that now the Lord had said to Abraham, God's word leads Abraham to faith. Because it's going to take faith for Abraham. Because he didn't know where he was going to go. He didn't know what it was, how it was all going to play out. How he was going to provide for his family. He didn't know any of the details. He just knows that God, the Lord himself, said, leave your country. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's how your faith and my faith is built up, by hearing the word of God and then being obedient to his word. Go back and read John 5, 24 today. It also talks about the hearing of the word of God and being obedient to that. It was a call by God to separate himself, Abraham, from the corruption around him, and Abraham obeyed by faith. How do we know that? We see that in Hebrews 11, verse 8. God says, Abraham, I need you to get out away from all this corruption. All this evilness that's surrounding you, you've got to get out. See, true faith is based on the word of God, and it leads to obedience in a person's life who lives by faith. Obedience. Here is a man, Abram, was an idolater. Here in Joshua 24.2, we know that Abraham lived in Ur of Chaldees. He lived as an idolater. 
he and his family worshipped idols, the moon gods. That was his life. That was his family he grew up in. And you and I don't have a choice of what family we are grown up to uh, up in, but it is affecting those within the family, is it not? I came from a family that did not know anything or even spoke of God. There wasn't a Bible sitting on our t coffee table like you did back, and it was the the perfect family environment picture, and there's the big Bible sitting on your you know, coffee table. So when anyone walked in, ooh, how big is your family Bible and all your family trees written in it, and all these things that used to be in the day. That wasn't my life. No one talked about God or who he is and what he's done. and what he, None of that happened in my life. Maybe yours. Maybe you were grown from, from birth. You heard the word of God in your mother's womb. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful for you. But here's a man who was worshipped not the one and true living God. He worshipped false gods. And what happened? God called him. God spoke to him. Abraham, or Abram at the time, heard God's voice, and God touched his heart. And by faith, he turned away from his old life and pursued a new life, a new beginning. A decision, a choice. He heard the word and he chose to follow God. God revealed his glory to him. And we know that's from Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. That this promise was made to Abraham before he left Ur of Chaldees. He spoke to him right where you're at in life. You do not have to think you have to change something and go to a mountaintop just to be able to hear God. No, that's not true. He can hear you right where you're at. In your house. In a car. Church. Taking a walk. Abram turned from his empty idols to walk with God, and all of this was by God's grace. Because he certainly didn't earn it. Because you can't earn it. Now, we see in, in the scriptures earlier that when God spoke and said, You have to leave. Not only Lot decided he was going to go with them, as we was in the scriptures, but we also see Terah, his father. They all left. Remember, we've already studied that Terah died there in this last chapter. And now we find that now dad, the, the leader, kind of really saying, yes, we're going to leave with you there, son. And we're going to, your, your nephew Lot's going to come with you as well. And we're going to do it our way. We're going to stick together because we're family. But it's against the word of God. God didn't say that dad and the nephew could come. But Abraham let them come. He compromised. He was half obedient. Which is not obedience. Yes, he left, but he... He was supposed to leave his family and his father household, and he did not. 
So it's a sin that he was allowing a hook to, to hook into him, and it was gonna, it's going to cost him, as we continue to see, uh, there's going to be consequences for half obedience or disobedience. So Abraham's partial obedience did not take God's promise away, did it? Instead, it meant that the promise was on hold until Abraham, Abram was ready to do what the Lord said. Yes, Abram will become, or Abraham will become a giant of faith. Being the father of the believing, we see in Galatians 3.7. But he didn't start well in his walk of faith with God. We see Abram as an example of growing in the faith and obedience that God's called him to do. Abraham's journey of faith is a great one to know because it's very encouraging. Because when you first hear the word of God and you've given your life to Christ, you all sudden start this walk with him and you find that you're falling down more than you're getting up. You have a tendency to turn around versus keep your eyes focused on him and keep moving forward. You have a tendency to be partial obedient, not fully obedient, what God has called you to do when you first get saved. You find yourself in that first six months to a year like a roller coaster of faith going, Oh, do I am I saved? Oh, I am saved. Oh, am I saved? Because you're just emotional wreck in your walk because you're trying to work and grow in that relationship and your faith. Faith being built stronger and stronger to the point where you just fully trust what God's word says. And not your emotions. And not what other people say. And not the false teaching that goes on and worldly teaching that goes on around you. There's a process of, of renewing the mind as, the, script, as the, 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 the Bible says. And the only way you can have your mind renewed is by the, through the, the reading and the studying of the word of God. Spending more time hearing from God. That is how your faith is built. And he says in your Abram, your journey of faith is going to lead you to a land. A land that I will show you. You don't get to choose. I'm saved. This is a wicked place. i got to get away from my family. Where do I want to go? That is not in what God says for you and I. When you get saved... You just wait and God tells you what you are to do. Which means you could be staying right where you're at, or it might mean you're going to have, friends are going to change. Places of people who have influenced you will have to change. But if God calls you to go somewhere, He chooses where that is. You, you, you and I don't get to choose that. He's our Lord, He's our Master. But we'll see Abraham was still growing. He, he, he thinks he's still in control of his life now since he's put his faith in God. And he's going to start scheming and figuring out his own life and playing it out. And it's going to have tremendous consequences on his life. Because he's scheming. He's manipulating his, his environment of how and where he's going to live and how he's going to live and how much he's going to live for God and not. Very dangerous as we will see through this man of great faith we see in his early walk of what it was like but after starting he you know he stating he wanted abram to leave his country and his relatives god promised abraham a land 
Specifically, God promised the land of greater Israel. And these are God's promises. Notice how often God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. In chapter 11, it was all about plans of man. This is how our plan is, and as humankind, we're going to make plans. In chapter 12, it's all about God's plan. You finally come to the end of your own plan, and you realize that, that just failed. And you then go, God, let your plan be, your will be, be known. I just want to be in your will. I just want to follow your will. I, just, I don't want to figure this out. I want you to show me and guide me. And because God says, if you're in my will, if you're just listen and just be obedient, you're going to find I'm going to make you a great nation, he says. How can he make a, ma a great nation when he doesn't even have children? He has a wife, that's all, he has no children. How is he going to be a great nation? He also was promised he's going to make his name great. Abraham, you don't have to go make your name great. I'm going to make your name great. How are you going to do that? It's not, our, it's not a question for us to ask. But if you look today, his name, Abraham, is on high and, and is, is, is a great name, not only in the Christian circle, but also in the Muslims and the Jews. All three great centers of, of, of what we see in the world today all lift Abraham's name on high. Just like God said he was going to do. And he also said, I will bless those who bless you. <laughs> but on the flip side of that coin, he says, but I'm going to curse him who curses you. Those who come and are with you, they're going to be blessed. If they come against you, they're coming against me. They're going to be cursed. How do we know that? Barnhouse, great, uh, great uh, scholar, says this. When the Greeks overran Palestine and desecrated the altar in the Jewish temple, they were soon conquered by Rome. When Rome killed Paul and many others and destroyed Jerusalem under Titus, Rome soon fell. Spain was reduced to a fifth-rate nation at the Inquisition against the Jews. Poland fell after the pogroms, and Hitler's Germany went down after its wickedness of anti-Semitism. Britain lost her empire when she broke her faith with Israel. And you can go back historically and watch nation after nation that came against God's people, and they went down after that. But we also see another example. We see today one reason why the United States has been so blessed is because the United States is the only nation that granted full citizenship and protection of the Jewish people. But as soon as this country goes against Israel, watch out. We're going down. Why? Because God says it right here in the scripture. And how prideful we are if you think and I think or our government thinks if you go against Israel, that doesn't have consequences. We will be cursed like every other nation who goes against this country. That's why we pray for the nation of Israel. That's why we pray for the Jewish people. We pray for our leaders that they will not go against Israel because God said we will then be cursed. And as a nation, we will go down. Many churches today teach us anti-Semitism. 
They think God is done with the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. That is false teaching. Those churches will not prosper in the eyes of God. And so here we do not. We continue to lift up Israel. I can't wait for some of us who are going to go see Israel here in March. Can't wait. And when we come back, we'll plan another one, and I hope all of you can come with us. We'll take all church and we'll just go to Israel. Wouldn't that be great? It would be a wonderful time. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed, God says here in these verses. Not only was Abraham blessed or promised blessings, but God also promised to make him a blessing even to the point where all the families, not just some families, but all families of the earth would be blessed in Abraham. You can go back and you can read Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9, and Revelation 5, 9 on that as well. But the challenge is this, verse 4. But Lot went with him. His partial obedience. Partial obedience by Abram. God commanded him to go out from his family, and he brought his nephew Lot anyway. And Lot would not be a blessing to Abram. He would be nothing but trouble and inconvenience to Abram and what God wants to do in his life. Verse 5. Then Abram took Sarai, or Sarah, as we will know her as, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. And all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan, and Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the Terabith tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were then in the land. We know in the New Testament, states by faith, Abraham obeyed, Hebrews 11.8. Because God's word leads to faith. But after God's word leads a person to faith, we see here faith leads to obedience. God's word leads a person to faith. That faith leads to obedience. If you have a faith in God, you'll be obedient to God. If you're not obedient to God, then ask yourself, do you really have faith in God? Because you cannot willingly, habitually practice things that go against the word of God. You can't do it and still call yourself a Christian. We know this. But if you do, you're fooling yourself. Because that's not the scripture. Abram believed God's word. And faith is not believing in spite of evidence, remember. It is obeying in spite of the consequences. The proof of your faith in God is about your obedience to God. For true faith always leads to works. We see that in James chapter 2, verse 14. Hearing leads to heeding of what God says to you. Take heed of what God says to you. 
In verse 7, we see that the, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Immediately, we see Abram build an altar to worship the Lord right there. Who has appeared to him. Now he, God not only spoke to him, but now we see that the, the, the appearance of God himself to Abraham. He reveals himself to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. On the west, and Hai, or which Hai means dump or heap, on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. So here in these verses, we see that we are told nothing about the journey at all. How difficult it was, how challenging it was, the emotional ups and downs with it, the, the, the doubts. We don't know anything of the, of the journey. We just know that he was obedient and went. But in that fact that he was obedient, there became a blessing from it. What was that blessing? God, the Lord appeared to Abraham. <laughs> that's a blessing. When he shows up on the scene, that's a, that's a huge blessing here. But once Abraham was in the land, God reminded him of his promise that he had made to him earlier on. The land Abraham saw belonged to Abraham and his descendants. What a blessing. So God's word leads a person to faith. That person's faith leads to obedience. Obedience leads to blessing. There's a blessing when you keep God's word. Abraham never owned any of this land. Except we see in Genesis chapter 23 verses 14 through 20. He had a little bit of burial plot. In his name. God's promise was enough evidence to assure Abram that he did indeed own the whole country just like God said so. He believed God. He didn't have a piece of paper with a deed showing it. He didn't have the lawyers lined up to prove it. God said it, he believed it, that was it. And he uprooted him and his wife and moved to a different country, different land, based on God's word. Nothing else but his word. And he not only did he go, but he sat there and he worshipped, he built an altar to the Lord. Abram thought this was important to do. The altar was so important to, to Abram because it was a place to meet with God. See, when you build an altar, when you worship God, that shows you're a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. To offer sacrifice for sin, to show submission to God, to worship God. To, this is someone, is someone who has given their faith, put their faith in God. 
see Christians, you and I today, have an altar also. We see that in Hebrews 13.10. We meet with God at our own place where we remember the sacrifice Jesus made for sin. Ephesians 5.2. Where we submit to God as living sacrifices. Romans 12.1. Where we offer the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13.15. We too come to the altar. We come to the communion table. We come and we get on our knees and we sit there and we worship God and remember what Jesus Christ did for you and I on the cross for the sins of the world. That is our altar. That's the altar for Abram was to make an altar and to burn incense to cover the sin that was he knew he was a sinful man. He wasn't a perfect man. We also see that he pitched his tent. So after, he also built that altar, but he also pitched his tent in the land that God gave him. Abram never lived in a house. He always lived in a tent. It shows that he was a pilgrim of this earth. He knew this was temporary. He didn't try to create his own mansion here. Create his own life so it's so permanent that he had no intention to ever leaving building up his wealth and everything else for his own pleasures. No, God blessed him, as we will see, with wealth and everything else, and that was to provide for his family and everything else that God was going to use that for God's purposes. Tents are the home of those who are just passing through and do not put down permanent roots. And we too are living like tent dwellers. We're just Pilgrims of this earth, we see that written in 1 Peter 2, verses 11. We should live as people who are reminded that this is not our permanent dwelling. Our permanent dwelling is in heaven with God. That he can come back and take us home, that there's nothing here that says, I am not leaving God until I do A, B, C, and D, and I'm going to complete my bucket, then you can take me home. If your mindset's that way, you're not a pilgrim of God. You're trying to make this your permanent home. God, the scripture says to keep a light touch of the things of this world. That we're permanently, constantly looking up and waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior to take us home. Soon and very soon. Pilgrim is someone who leaves home and travels to a specific destination. A pilgrim is not a drifter, not a nomad. A pilgrim has a goal that was given by God, and they're obedient and going to do it. Abraham was given a goal, go to the land, and he went. Because God said to him. Remember, when you live by faith, you make your decisions on the basis of the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You seek to glorify God alone, Romans 4, verses 19 and 20. And true faith is not in a hurry. It is willing to wait, Isaiah 28, 16 and Hebrews 6, 12. You will wait upon the Lord. 
You will be still and know that he is God. You will sit there and do what he says you to do. And then you sit and you wait 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 for God's perfect timing to tell you when to take the next step. That is living a life based on faith in God and God alone. That is where we want our faith to continue to grow to be. Yes, you may say, I'm not there, Pastor. You're absolutely, possibly very correct. But watch what God did in Abraham's life as he grew and grew in his faith and became a great man of faith. He will do the same for you, my sister and my brother. Continue to seek after him with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength. Seek first the kingdom of God and, all, and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. Allow him to build your faith through it. And as we will see, how does he do that? We will see it here in Abraham's life in the scriptures today. So we see in verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. Exciting. <laughs> I'm living by faith. Isn't it supposed to be just perfect? I'm never supposed to get sick again. I'm supposed to have you wealthy and healthy and wise. No. Because we see in the scriptures that when God gives you the faith and to put your faith in him and trust in him, that there would be obedience required to prove that faith. And when that obedience happens, blessing comes for being obedient to that faith. But through that, you will then and I will then be tested of our faith. How does your faith get deeper and stronger and wider and higher and so foundational and so solid? It will be tested by fire. By testing. And we right here, here comes Abram was obedient. Abram was going to be blessed. Now the testing comes. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. Hello. Test came and he failed. How did he fail? He was disobedient. He left the land that God said for him to go to. He left where God told him to be and he went down. Egypt. That's never a good word. When you're sitting there and God says to you, I need you to do this. I need you to stop this. I need you to go here. And you say, I, 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 it's too difficult. I don't like it. It's too cold. I'm leaving. You're going to go down. Because you're going against what God said for you to do. See it in scripture here. So another truth that we find here is blessing leads to testing. It will test your faith. God's word leads to faith. Faith leads to obedience. Obedience leads to blessing. And blessing leads to testing. You'll be tested in your faith. Faith is always tested for at least three reasons we see in the scripture. To prove whether our faith is real or it's just all Christian talk. 
to help our faith grow. And thirdly, to bring glory to the Lord. And go back and read 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9, and James 1, verses 1 through 8 today. Here we see a famine in the land where God led him. We can be in the will of God and still suffer trials. But that is what God has designed to do a work in you. And sometimes droughts are what God uses to get us to grow and to put our trust in him and to solidify our faith in him. Now, Abraham was not wrong for being concerned for him and his family, his wife and family and everybody else about what are we going to do to survive here? There's a drought. There's no food. We're going we're gonna to die. We can, not all of a sudden in our human flesh can sit there and say, we can't blame him for this. But Abraham was wrong in thinking God would not provide for his needs in the place where God called him to live. If God called him to live there, he's going to provide for him there. Because God didn't call him to go to Egypt. He called him to Canaan. But like Abram, it's, you and I are just like Abram. It's so easy sometimes to put our faith in things that are a little bit further distance away. But when it comes to what is happening in the moment, in the time, in the, the drought that's coming, or the flood that seems to be rising, the water seems to be rising up, and you're trying to do a little paddle moment, try to keep your nose above water because everything seems to, finances are falling apart, the health of the family's falling apart, everything you've done is falling apart. What is That's where your faith is tested. Because it's real to you. It's, it's happening right now. You had this plan. You thought for sure that's what God wanted. And then God closed those doors on you. But let me reassure you, my brothers and sisters, that God has not left you. He will never leave you forsake you. God is faithful in your journey of faith. He will be with you through this valley. And you must trust God that he is using your circumstances of your life right now, even if you've messed up like Abram did. That God is still going to have his way in your life because he has a plan for you. Just yield it quicker than later. Just yield your life quicker than later because it will be much better. In verse 11, it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he saw uh, to, he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife. 
and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Being disobedient to God and going places where God hasn't called you to do puts not only you at risk, but everyone around you at risk. Your sin never affects just you. It affects everyone around you. And here we are. Here's Abram. He's taking his wife, Sarah, here, going down to Egypt. And all of a sudden, somehow, someway, God's speaking to him or something. He came to realization. You know something? You're very beautiful. She's 65 years old. And she was beautiful. Now, keep in mind, she lived until 127, so she might be considered in our days in her late 20s, early 30s. But it doesn't matter. She was beautiful, and he knew it. And he knew what they would do if it was his wife. They were going to kill him to be able to have her. Now, so he's now put his wife at risk because he wanted what he believed he needed to do. He didn't want to be trust God because of the, of the drought coming that God was going to provide. He took in matters in his own hands. He leaned on his own understanding versus asking God. And because of that, some people's mentality is, oh, I can worship God anywhere I go. Oh, how foolish that statement is, I've heard over the years. We're moving, Pastor. Okay. You're going down to the south, I, I, I assume? Is it called Egypt? Because there's no guarantee that you are going to go down there and just get to worship God however you want to or wherever you want to. You could be putting your wife and your kids at great risk, taking them to a place that God did not call you. Be very careful in your decision making without asking God. And this is what happened. Not only are we going to get down there, and I now realize I could die. You woman, you, you're, you're, you're going to live. So please tell him that you're my sister. And some people say, how could he lie? Well, it was a half lie now too, isn't it? Because remember, Sarah is his half sister. But a half lie is still a lie scheming to get your way to compensate for the mistake you made, and then you keep scheming to try to compensate, to, to make up that. You're just spiraling downward, people. That's what he's doing. He's just spiraling downward. Because you're constantly scheming and trying to make up for the mistake, the mistake of the mistake of the lie of the lie. You're going down. And she, Sarah, is a great example of, of just of a, in a, of a wife who, I'm sure she did not agree with the man. It doesn't say that. But she said, okay, I'll tell him that you're, I'm your sister. Now he's giving his life to lie for her. To cover for his mistake. Half truth, truth is a whole, a whole lie. 
Abraham's intent was clearly to deceive. That was the reason why he said it. It wasn't the fact that, oh, yeah, she's my half-sister. That's true. But he said that to deceive. And he trusted in his deception to protect him instead of trusting the Lord. How could he at that moment, if he would have just gone back and remembered what God promised him, what did he promise him, Israel? That he was going to promise him so many children and children's children, it will become a great nation. Did he not believe what God told him of that promise? He didn't. He just worried about his own flesh versus God saying, of course, he didn't know how this is all going to work out, but he should have still remembered God promised that he would have children. And God is going to fulfill his promises because God's promises are always true. Verse 14 so it was when Abram came into Egypt and the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. So, he, you know, Abraham's thinking, okay, who's the dude who's going to see my wife and think she's beautiful and kill me and take her? Oh, no, it got even worse. He could possibly figure out how am I going to fight that guy off? But no, no, he had Pharaoh himself come and take his wife. How is he going to go against that force? How is he going to overcome that? He's probably scheming. I'm so smart. I'll figure out a way to get her out of there and back and and keep her. He had no power whatsoever. Pharaoh himself God used to uh, bring attention to Abram. There was no way out of that one. But God's redemptive plan of bringing the Messiah, the Savior. God is still going to keep that in control. Because remember, the Messiah is to come through Abraham's lineage, through Sarah, down through the lineage. How is God going to keep his word? Well, we're going to watch this. Watch how this plays out. It is amazing. He treated Abram, the Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep and ox and male donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. So here, here comes Sarah. and She's beautiful. And the Pharaoh's like, hey, give him all of this stuff for her because this, 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 this sister of his is beautiful. Give him all the good stuff for thanking him for bringing her my way to be part of my harem. But then God gets involved. But God, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. How Pharaoh found out or figured out that 
Sarai was uh, not not only his sister, half-sister, but his wife. And because of that, something happened with all these plagues. They figured out what's changed. She was added to the harem. They somehow, he figured out, or God revealed it to him very quickly. Pharaoh, get rid of her quickly because I'm bringing these plagues on you. Couldn't explain why they were getting whatever plagues they were. But why did God do that? Well, because the Lord had to keep that womb of Sarah preserved and not contaminated by some pagan king. But preserved because she was going to be used by God in her lineage. That, 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 that family tree limb could not be contaminated, folks. So God blessed Abram, yes. God blessed him with all these material stuff. Because he gave his wife over to Pharaoh. He didn't have a choice. But just because God blessed him in that bad decision, bad place, bad everything, God blessed him with material wealth and all this stuff, does not give him a reason to then justify why he did what he did. Yes, God continued to protect Abram. Yes, God protect Sarah. Yes, Abram acted like a liar and was a liar, but he still, God, did not call back his promise to Abraham because God said he was going to have his promise fulfilled regardless, and he brought it about anyway. But so many people sometimes say, oh, yes, I went there, but God still blessed me. Just because you are blessed with material things does not mean you're in the, world, in the will of God and you're doing it according to God's will. Wealth and health is not an indicator that you have faith in Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people who are very wealthy people in this world, but they are so contrary to God. I know some people who are very healthy, but they absolutely have nothing to do with God. That has nothing to determine if you are a faith, you have faith in God. So don't let the false teaching that's going on today confuse you. Live for God and be obedient. Now, if you noticed, God had to use a pagan king to rebuke Abram. A king would have to show Abram that he trusted in God and told the truth. Everything would have been all right. <laughs> a non-believer telling him about his own God. Because Abram chose to walk by sight and not by faith. And it cost him his testimony and almost his Also note, when he went to the place where God sent him, Abram immediately built an altar to worship God. He put his tent there knowing this is where God had put him. But nowhere in our scripture here when he went to Egypt did he build an altar or pop up a tent. That's what happens when you're out of the will of God. You will not worship God and you will permanently find a place to settle in. You will get a hold of the things of this world. 
those are bad signs for you right now. In verse chapter 13, we've got to speed up here. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. When you are out of the will of God, you recognize that you're out of the will of God. You're not worshiping him. You're in, in a bad place. Things are falling apart. What are you to do? Just like Abraham. Abram went back to the beginning where he was worshiping God and serving God and in his tent where it was supposed to be. He turned around and went back. He humbled himself and went back. He turned around and realized that is, was my decision. That was not of God. I'm going back to where I was had the closest relationship with God. And you go back. It's a humbling experience, but it's the best decision you will ever make to go back to when you were worshiping God and serving him and planted where God had you. He didn't make any excuses. He didn't do anything other than go back up to the place that God had called him. The place where the altar was, the place where the tent, his tent was, the place where God, the Lord himself, called on the name of the Lord. And that's not always, a, today, a physical place. It is a place in your heart. It is a place where you find yourself. Did you have the closest when you had those morning devotions? When you were coming regularly, studying the word of God. When you were plugged into the women's and the men's studies. That's when you were really growing in your faith. When you were serving God. Where was it? God is going to bring it back to memory. Go back and do those things again that God has shown you that he called you to do. And the things of this world let go of them of the, such a control where you, it keeps you from being able to go back to where the Lord had called you. In verse 5, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents and now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife, key word right there. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's uh, livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites and the Parasites were then dwelt in the land. So here we find they're back in the right place. But still remember, Lot it was not supposed to be in the picture here. And now both of them have become wealthy. They've accumulated great things. Yes, through circumstances in Egypt and everything else. But everything is being blessed by God because they're back to where they're at. And it gets so bad and so crowded. Now the herdsmen are competing against each other and figuring out where their livestock's going to be grazing and stuff. There's some conflict. There's strife. What does Abraham do? What is Abram, how does Abram handle the situation? Well, a man of God was going to do exactly what Abraham does here. Look what takes place. So Abram said to Lot in verse 8, 
Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Take note of that. When you find yourself at strife between you and your wife, you're married. There should be no strife. If you're sitting there and you're at strife with your brother, remind them, you're brothers. You should not be at strife and competing and, 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 and butt, headbutting and, and wrestling. Get, the strife should not be there. If there's something more important, we're brothers. We're sisters in the Lord. There should not be this strife. There should be a unity. So we see Lot handling it exactly. He calls it the way it is. He doesn't passively let it go. He says, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. Abraham says to Lot, finally, please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Abraham humbly sat there and took the higher end, the more mature one, and said, Lot, he now he must be triggering. You weren't supposed to be with me in the first place. So how do you deal with it? You come and say, we don't need to have strife. We need to make a decision. You must leave. And I'm going to humbly say, you look at the land. You decide where you want to go. You have first choice, even though Lot was not in the position to have first choice, right? Abram was the elder. But because he was more mature, and now his faith is being deepened, he can confidently say, Lot, you have first choice. You go first. And what did Lot do? Well, we'll see here that Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, key note here, like the garden of the Lord. Ooh, the garden. It is that beautiful. Ooh, that's where I want to live. Nice and warm. Palm trees must be. Lots of beautiful water. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful place to live. I can see it. I've done the research. Oh, a beautiful place. Like the land of Egypt. <laughs> As you go towards Zoar. The place that he knew his... his it, Abram almost lost his wife and lost his life and everything else. He says, it's like Egypt. Egypt in, its, in, the, in the scripture, going down to Egypt and Egypt itself, in the definition means worldliness, material wealth. So he could sit there and say, ooh, like the land of Egypt. Everything, the material wealth that this world has to offer is right there. It's a beautiful place. Has everything you want, all the shopping, all the restaurants, all the good things that can have in life. I love it. Lot could see it. Then Lot chose for himself all the plan of Jordan 
and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So many lessons learned here. Lot had a choice. Go left, go right, your choice. And nowhere in that choice did he even think about asking God. He lived by sight. And he pleased himself. And whatever pleased himself and what seemed to be right in his own understanding and what the world offered, that's what he wanted. And he pursued it. Because that's all he could see and he just lived for the moment. Based on emotions. Feelings can drive a man, can drive a woman to make these decisions. Oh, it's like the garden of the Lord. Oh, it's, look at how beautiful these places are. But notice that he saw Sodom. He saw what the world had to offer. Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at how beautiful that place is out there. Look what those cities have to offer us. He even, not only did he see it, he even took steps and actually planted his tent as far as Sodom. Now he's getting closer to it. Lot made a lot of bad decisions. You can see him make a lot of bad decisions. It started based on his own understanding and reasoning. In verse 10, we see that he looked towards Sodom. Verse 12, we see that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And it was only this far for now, but we, will, we know in chapter 19, Lot became a leader of the sinful city of Sodom. He was valuing only the things he could see. Only the fact of how he could possibly become more wealthy, more influential, Make a name for himself. But that's all temporal. Because Lot will lose it all. We see it in the scripture. Of course Lot can say, oh, I can go over this direction. I can serve God as well as there is here. It doesn't matter. They need a witness of God over there. You know, that's really bad. But all he was doing was deceiving himself. Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. See, it's interesting when you hear these, these words because it wasn't Lot's choice that led his heart astray. His heart was already astray, and it was demonstrated by his choice. You can look at people's choices, and it's a reflection of the heart that was already like that. Things just don't just happen. 
starts with the mind, changes the heart, and comes out in your words and your actions. And it's a perfect example here. See, a lot of people are light rod. They say yes to heaven, but they never say no to the world, and they end up in terrible predicaments. Verse 14, and the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. Ah, Abram, my faithful son, finally, we have it the way I wanted it from the very beginning. Lot's gone. Dad's gone. It's just you and your wife. And now look up and look every 360. All of this land is yours. Yes, yes, Lot went over there and trying to you know, claim the plain, but it's still all yours. For him, it's temporary. He's gone. I mean, it's just, even Abram didn't even know what was going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. But God knew. But all that land was for him. It was the promise that God had given him, and God is faithful to bring it about. The promise of the land had been made to Abram when he lived in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And now God is repeating that promise to him again. Sometimes God has to remind promise after promise. We go, oh, that's right. God reminded, told me that last year, two years or five years. Oh, how did I forget this? Write your promise, the promises that God give you, write them down. Write them down because you don't want to forget what God has shown you. Verse 16, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. So we see here again the blessings, the, the promises of God, that if Abram just continued to walk by faith and not by sight, not like Lot, that you would see this was going to take place. Here's Abram, he's an old man, he's He's approaching, he's now 70s in the 80s, he has no children yet, his wife sits there, he's in the, she's in the past 65, she's going into later years, no child, and God is still saying, you are going to have so many descendants, you can't even count them. And then finally, 17 here, he says, and 18, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of, uh, of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Arise. God's moving him, planting him. God is asking Abram to explore the land that he's promised him to walk it himself, to see it, to record of the ownership of the land yet has been given to him. And still today, the scripture's solid, but we still have debates in world leaders who says what the land is. Is this is Israel's land or it's not Israel's land? It is not a question for you and I as a child of God. Because we have the word of God. We don't need some world leaders today fighting over land that we know that God gave to his people and God is going to give, continue to keep that land for his people. 
God wants us to explore a land of promise as well. His word. We must explore his word. We must travel through the entire 66 books from cover to cover. I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, start in January 1st and start in Genesis 1-1 and continue to read all the way through in one year and get to the end of Revelation. We're happy to help you. We have a couple of different plans you can use to do that, to make it in a way that you can just be in the word of God. Follow his word. And God has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises in his word. I want you to know those promises. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I want you to know those things. And he wants us to walk through this land, possessing it by faith. What God is going to give you in this life. And we'll close with this. We see in our journey through Genesis from chapters 3 through 11, there was disobedience, there was murder, there was deception, there was drunkenness, nudity, rebellions. It sounds exactly like a picture we see today in this world. And if you were God, what would you do with these sinners who... God had created in his own image. And many right here today, maybe in your mind right now, would say, oh, I would torch them all. But that's not our God. God did not do what we think more likely than, more than likely we would we'd, we'd, we'd torture them, get rid of them again. He instead, he called a man Abram. And his wife Sarai to leave their home and go to a new land so that God might give humanity a new beginning again. A God of new beginnings. Because of God's call and their obedient faith, Abraham and Sarah ultimately gave to the world the Jewish nation, the Bible, and the Savior. Look what their obedience brought about. As God used them as vessels for his purpose. Where would we be today if Abraham and Sarah had not trusted God? The story would be so different. But God is faithful. He would, have, he, would have, he would have gotten his way. The life of Abram is an example of all Christians who want to walk by faith. You and I want to walk by faith, don't we? Abraham was saved by faith. You and I are saved by faith. He lived by faith. You and I must have a desire to live by faith. And his obedience was the evidence of his faith. The question you and I are to ask ourselves today, are we obedient to what God's called us to do? To live by faith. To live for him. Abraham and Sarah were not perfect. You and I are not perfect. But their walk was characterized by faith and faithfulness. Will you and I, when we get to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord? Will that be the words 
the Lord speaks of you? Abraham obeyed when he did not know where, did not know how, did not know when, did not know why. And so should we in our journey 